This week we're jumping into the next covenant, the new covenant, the final covenant of this series. And I'm so excited because all of His promises are yes and amen. Hey, if you got your Bible, I want you to flip open to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Let's thank the worship team this morning for leading us into the presence of God. Amen. Come on, you can do better than that. I'm so thankful for our worship team, their heart, and how they serve. It's so good to see you as you're finding your place in Jeremiah chapter 31. Number one, I want to thank all of those who participated in yesterday's Mission of Hope outreach. It was a, an incredible day as hundreds of our church family served thousands in our city. That's how it works in the kingdom, that when we're willing to serve, it multiplies, right? And so we had hundreds of our church family going out into four different baseball parks here on the west side in Middleburg and out towards Orange Park, Oak Leaf area, and we were serving. And we saw hundreds and hundreds of our church family serve thousands in our city. And I cannot say thank you enough. Actually, we want to, to make this so big in our celebration. We didn't want to celebrate it today. But we know next Sunday is always the largest Sunday of the year. So we already have it planned to show and to celebrate all that took place yesterday on Easter Sunday. So that as so many lost friends and family, as they come to the church, they can see what the church is really about. Amen. So I'm excited. That's why we're not showing it to you today. We're waiting until next Sunday on Easter Sunday to celebrate and highlight all that took place yesterday and the thousands that were served. Jeremiah chapter 31, um, you should have received a ticket on your way in or just a few moments ago um, as the ushers came and distributed those tickets. This week, I need you to run hard for Easter. Amen. I need you to run hard. I need you to get those to the house of the Lord that need to be in the house of the Lord. There are so many in Jacksonville that do not have a church home. There are so many that are outside of the body of Christ that need to be brought into the body of Christ, and they're willing this Sunday. And so make sure you use those Easter tickets to get them here on this Sunday. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. Where does he say he's going to put the law? Within them. Guess who else that includes? Us. Within us. And I will write it on their hearts. Guess who else, else that includes? That includes us. He will write it on our hearts. And I will be their God. I will be Jordan Wiggins, God, I will be Evangel Temples, God, and they will be my people. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's alive and it is active. And I pray, Father, that we would be transformed as we jump into the next promise of God, the new covenant. We love you, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. This past week, my wife and I, we went on a vacation and we had a good relaxing week, enjoying some time away. We took our youngest uh, child with us, Sela, but we felt like bad parents because we left our oldest two at home, Judah and Hosea. We were asked multiple times while we were down there, do y'all have any other kids? And we said, yeah. They asked why, they didn't bring, why we didn't bring them, and we said, well, they got left on purpose. How many of y'all ever had to leave your kids on purpose? 
Come on, I don't want to be the only honest parent in the room. I'm thankful that every child is a gift from God, but I'm also thankful that I know what Sabbath means as well. And, and I'm thankful that we got to have a, a good week uh, away. We were in Mexico, and we were in an area of Mexico where there's both an old city and a new city. And while I love the, the new city, I love the character and the depth of the old. And even though much of life happens in the, the new city, guess what? The new city is dependent on what was. Without the old, there is no new, right? Without the foundation, there is no new. I got news for you this morning that every one of you in here this morning, there is no you without your parents. We have a foundation in our life. We are all here because of someone else. We all have a foundation in our life, whether it is a good foundation or a bad foundation. We didn't get here by ourselves, right? Without the foundation, there is no building. Without the foundation, there is no structure. And the new city that we were in was amazing, but the old city had a depth and a richness that was incredible. And while this metaphor may be imperfect, it helps describe the relationship between both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So many wonder often, well, why is the Old Covenant if there is a New Covenant, right? Why do we have to look into the Old Testament? Why do we have to go back in history if we have the New Covenant before, before us? Guess what? My story, it doesn't start with me. I stand on the shoulders of someone else. And just like Jesus, his story didn't start with him. Even though he was there before the foundations of the world, it didn't start just with him. It didn't just start with Mary and Joseph. Jesus' story was the culmination of a redemptive thread that was woven throughout mankind all the way back to the beginning. If I remember correctly, both Matthew and Luke gave us a full account of Jesus' ancestry, DNA. And, and Matthew, the genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham, whereas in, in Luke, he was a little bit more thorough because he was a medical doctor, right? And the doctors, they like every detail. And so where did Luke go to? He went back to, in the beginning, that Adam, he was the son of God and Although I can get saved without understanding the old covenant, every detail is important. And every detail will be enriched of the new covenant when I understand the journey that ultimately led to mankind's redemption and the new covenant, the covenant of grace. See, the covenant of grace, it came in a costly manner. Unlike the older covenants, grace did not come through animal sacrifice, right? Grace came. I said, grace, grace came. I don't know if you're connecting with that this morning. Grace, he split the sky wide open and he came into this world. How many of you are thankful that grace came? Grace came through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meaning, you did not have to go out and get grace, but grace came to you. Grace came. We didn't have to earn it. It came before we even existed in this world, before we even were thought of. Grace came from heaven to earth. 
We've looked at the other covenants in Noah and Abraham, Moses and David, and none of these were bad covenants. They were all good covenants. And all of the covenants, they laid out the framework for God's redemptive nature. But they all pointed to something that was so much greater than itself. They pointed to grace. They pointed to grace, the unmerited favor of God. Have you ever seen something that pointed to something much greater than itself? When you're driving down the interstate and it's lunchtime, and you see that sign for Chick-fil-A, you can't stop at the sign and get chicken, right? You can't even get a waffle fry at that sign. But what you can get is directions, You can get directions to life transformation found in a number one combo at Chick-fil-A. The sign is pointing to something that is so much greater than itself. And all of these covenants, they highlight the redemptive framework of God's nature throughout the history. Because they are a sign and a promise of God's covenant to come. Every single one of these covenants were a sign of what was coming in the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. That's why Jeremiah would say, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The days they were, what? They were coming. They weren't here yet, but the days were, meaning the days were on their way. See, the children of Israel at that point, they were living in a land of exile. And the promise was on the way. How many of you are thankful that when you were in a land in exile, that there was a promise that was on a way? That when life had you captive, there was a promise that was coming. That when the path, the, life, the path of life had led you through the valley of the shadow of death, that there was a table waiting on the other side because there was a promise that was coming on the way. It said that the days were coming. Behold, the days are coming. See, sometimes we just gotta believe that about our situations and our circumstances. When circumstances have us bound and led into captivity and dark and hurting situations like the children of Israel at this time, the promise is that the days are coming when there is a new covenant. And sometimes we just gotta lift up our head and know that another day, a new day, a promise is coming. Sometimes we gotta put one foot in front of the next and know that the days are coming that we cannot quit because we're a child of God. We cannot stop. We can't go backwards. We got to press on and we got to go forward because the days are coming. Jesus, or, or Jeremiah said, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. It says, for, the, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. He said, a new covenant is being made. I love new. Anyone with me? That you love new? You love the smell of new. You love the look of new when you get that new pair of shoes or those new clothes or the new car smell. We all love new because there's something about new. Not that old is bad, but when God does a new thing, I want to be a part of it. God tells his people he is making a new covenant. And in the new covenant, he says that he will write his law on the hearts of his people and he will be their God and they will be his people. We need God's law written on our hearts. 
because we don't do so good when it's just only in our mind. We got selective memory at time, right? And so when his law just rests within our mind, we can forget. How many of y'all got selective memory? All of the men, you better raise your hand. Bless my, my wife's heart. She can make a list of groceries for me and I'll go to the grocery store and I won't forget the items on the list. I'll forget the list itself, right? Because we got selective memory. And so God said that he was gonna put his law within our hearts. Israel had long battled submitting to the law externally because the law was ultimately just leading towards behavioral modification. There was very little inward transformation. See, the hearts of people were constantly led, being led away from the Lord by the distractions of the things that were around them. And isn't it crazy how often distractions in life can do the very same thing to us. Our distractions become our idols, our success, our job, our family, our hobbies, our sports, all of the distractions in life around us. And in the old covenant, Israel was constantly being led away by the distractions because the law was not within them. So God said in the new covenant, the law would be within them. I love what Isaiah says. He says, for the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God said that he was going to put the knowledge of himself throughout all the world. And the knowledge of who he is would bring transformation. I love what Ezekiel says in 36 verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says that he'll give us a new heart, a new spirit. Not only was there going to be a new covenant, but God was going to extract the cold and callous heart that kept leading them astray. Church, we can modify our behavior day after day, but if the old man is not put off, if the old callous heart does not come out, if the old nature does not get on the outside, what's on the inside is going to remain. That's why God says he's gotta do heart surgery, right? Our God, he is the best heart surgeon. We can't just have a heart that is repaired. It's got to be replaced. And that's why 2 Corinthians would say that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things are becoming new. See, we need a transplant. We need transformation. And that's what Christ came into the world to do. When he came into the world, he didn't come just with rules and regs. He came to transform the hearts of mankind. See, Jesus, he wasn't just about rules and regulation. He was about the heart and love and transformation. Jesus, he didn't come into the world to just uh, to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. His focus was on transforming the hearts of people. But to be able to do that, he had to actually connect with people. And I think that's where we have a gap so often within the church. We want heart transformation, but we miss that connection with people. Jesus did it. When he came into this world, what did the religious accuse him of? That he came into the world eating, drinking, and engaging with sinners. The religious called him a drunkard and a glutton because Jesus was willing to engage people at their worst. 
Jesus didn't mean for people to get themselves together before they came to him, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, you had to climb up a mountain to get to me because Jesus, he would stoop to their level. How many are thankful that Jesus got on your level? He didn't call you up to his level, right? He was willing to get down on your level. See, it was when I was unrighteous that he got into the midst of it. He was, it was when I was in my sin and in my trespasses that he humbled himself. He came into this world and I'm thankful that I've got a father who loves me that came and met me in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my pain, and in the midst of my unrighteousness. I'm thankful that we have a father who loves us. But guess what, this love, it leads to transformation. See, I'm a lot more willing to keep my father's commandments when I know that he loves me. When I understand what my father has done for me. When I know he causes all things to work together for good. When I understand the love of my father, I will do anything for him. I heard one preacher say it like this, we don't work for grace, we work from grace. We don't work for salvation, we work from salvation, right? When his love comes within our hearts, when his love comes within our life, it shifts, it transforms, it changes things, and so the trajectory of our life then begins to shift and to change as well. This past week, we honored Pastor Cecil's home going, and for those of you that knew Pastor Cecil, most anybody would do anything for that man. Why? Because he loved people's hearts. He didn't love them to manipulate them. He didn't love them to get something out of them. He loved them for them. And there isn't many people that when pastor would call and say, hey, I need you to do something, they would say no, right? Because he loved them. If we will just love people, if we will just love people without strings attached, we will see transformation. Society is doing its very best to divide us in this moment in time, right? Society, culture, the news, social media, every bit of it is doing its very best to divide us. But if we will love people unconditionally, if we will keep the two greatest commandments of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and if we will love our neighbor as ourself. The good Samaritan was the good Samaritan, this ain't in the notes, but because he loved his neighbor who was very different than him. Even though he didn't understand him, even though he didn't fully agree with him or grasp what his nature was in the life that he lived, the religious, the Pharisee, the, and, and the Levite, they all passed by him. But the good Samaritan engaged him because he had a love for God and a love for people. And if we will love people, we will see transformation. The reason Jesus was able to transform people's lives was because he connected with their heart. I'm gonna say that again. The reason Jesus was able to transform people's lives was because he connected with people's heart. If you wanna have influence in a person's life, you have to win their heart. If you wanna have influence in your kid's life, you have to win their heart. If you wanna have influence in a coworker's life, you have to win their heart. If you wanna have influence within a group of people, 
You have to win their heart. If all you ever engage is a person's behavior, you'll never have the influence. If all you engage is a person's behavior, say, well, I can't believe the way they're behaving. I can't believe the way they're acting. I can't believe what they are doing. But we never go to the heart. We will never have influence within their life. If you never win their heart, you'll never see life transformation. And at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do is to see transformation take place on this earth. And so Jesus, what did he do? He looked past the behavior, looked to the heart, worked on the heart, and when the heart was changed and he had won the heart, the behavior would follow. And that was the problem with the law. The law focused completely on behavioral modification, not heart transformation, which is why Jesus said, hey, in the new covenant, I am going to work on the heart, not on the behavior, because if we get the heart right, the behavior will follow. Listen, you don't have to have authority to have influence. There are a lot of people in our world who have authority, but they don't have influence. But then there are a lot of people throughout history who had zero authority, never carried a badge one time, never were president, never were senator, never were congressman, never were newscaster, they were never none of that. But people like Mother Teresa, who loved people unconditionally, and they led movements that would shake and change the fabrics of history. You ain't gotta have authority to have influence. But if you will connect with people's heart, you can have great influence. And this was the point of the new covenant. Jesus had all authority, but he lived and he taught through his influence, connecting with the hearts of mankind. Luke 22, verse 17, says, and he took a cup when he had given thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, after three years of ministry, after three years of connecting with people's hearts, he sits down at a table to have dinner with his disciples. It's incredible what can be accomplished over a meal. Jesus wasn't doing anything spectacular at this point. He was having a meal with his disciples. And at that meal, he installs a new covenant. If we'll just take a moment and sit down and have a cup of coffee, if we will break bread together, so much can happen over a meal with the lost. So much can happen over a meal with your friends. So much can happen over a meal with something that we have forsaken as a society with your family. Dinner time used to be every night of the week where families would gather. But how often we live according to our schedules and we don't get together as our families around the dinner table anymore. Both secular and Christian faith-based research say mealtime is huge, especially for your family. Don't think of it as a sacrifice 
think of it as an investment. I encourage you to go and do the research on it. They said five times a week, a dinner with your family can pretty much save your kid's future. They said the disparity between families that had dinner together five times a week and three times a week was huge. From substance abuse, to depression, to anxiety, to even jail time or juvie time, was a huge, huge disparity between five dinners a week to three dinners a week. If we will just sit down and have a meal, it will force us connect with one another's hearts. What did Jesus do so often? He broke bread. It wasn't rocket science, right? It wasn't the most transformational thing. It was a conversation, a dialogue that happened around a common table, and which is why we say so often that gospel doesn't often need a pulpit, it needs a table. A common table that we can gather around and we can love on. See, the Last Supper was probably the most important meal in the history of the world. Jesus is installing the new covenant. He was eating with his disciples, unlearned and uncommon people. He was eating in a common place. Why do I point out the who and the where? Because the beauty of the new covenant is it gives access to common people and the common place. He wasn't having it on the Temple Mount amongst the religious elite. He was having it with the unlearned common men in an upper room in the city because it was given to the common people in a common place. Like I said, there's no longer a mountain that we have to climb to obtain standing. No longer is grace or forgiveness something that we earn, but it is freely given. No longer do we have to go through a man or through a priest, but Jesus became the great high priest that came to us. Jesus had a meal, and in this meal, he installs the new covenant among the common people in a common place. He tore the veil and granted access to the whole world. See, when he took the cup, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. He divided it. He shared it with his disciples. Notice that when he took the cup and he gave thanks, it wasn't something that he held on to. It was something that he divided among the people. The disciples, they all drank from the same cup. There was actually four cups, the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the, uh, the, the four cups that would go around the Passover Seder. Jesus said, take this and divide it among yourselves. See, earlier in the gospel when Jesus would stand in the Galilee, he would stand on one of the mountains and he would take the bread and he would begin to break it and multiply it and he would feed the 5,000 at one point and then the 7,000 at another point. What was he doing? He was foreshadowing his body being broken and multiplied. Church, there's a principle of multiplication within the breaking of the bread. Church, there's a principle of multiplication within the breaking and in the giving. On the mountain, it fed everyone. Not one person walked away hungry. At the table, at the Last Supper, it fed everyone. You wanna know where the multiplication took place? In the breaking and in the giving. Often when we are broken and when we give, there's a multiplication that will take place. 
Because the grace that we receive, it's not something that we hold on to, just like the cup that we have received, the disciples received. It wasn't something that they hold on to. That the grace that was purchased at Calvary, it should only multiply within our life, and it multiplies when we are broken and when we are giving. See, the breaking, it often hurts, but it's when multiplication can take place because it allows grace to flow in us and then flow through us. And that's what Jesus was doing, that the bread, it continued to multiply as willing, as long as it was being broken off and given out. As long as it was being broken off and given out, the grace and the bread would continue to multiply. And that's what happens when our life with grace, that when we allow it to continue to pass in us and continue to be broken off and to pass through our lives, it will continue to allow the principle of multiplication to take place. It's never about being a reservoir to where grace just adds up within our life. It's to flow through our life. The new covenant was enough for everyone. Not one had to walk away from, uh, from it hungry. Not one person had to walk away from that table hungry. Not one person has to leave God's table hungry. That every person for all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. There's a multiplication and the breaking of the new covenant. The new covenant is enough for everyone. Church, we're one week out from Easter. And we have to be about seeing a harvest drawn in. We have to be willing to help get out and help people encounter Jesus. At every installment of the new covenant, there was a, or at, at, at every installment of every covenant, there was a meal that was being served. And at the installment of the new covenant, Jesus was both the host and the meal. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part. In me, Jesus was the meal, and the Holy Spirit that would come on the day of Pentecost was the seal, and everything that Jesus did in his life and ministry, it led up to this moment from his birth to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, to the cross, into the resurrection. Everything he did was keeping covenant, fulfilling prophecy to install the new covenant of grace. There's a high price to grace. Ephesians 1:17. Or 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does it say in the new covenant? We received forgiveness and we received an inheritance according to the riches of his grace. The worship team would come. Grace came at a high price, free to us, but costly to the Father. It came with a price that many of us today, we would not be willing to pay, but Jesus was willing to pay this price to give each and every one of us access to the Father. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save those who are lost, to die on the cross and to give us access. That was the whole point of him coming in on that triumphal day on Palm Sunday as he would come down the mountain and come into Jerusalem and the 
Passover in that week would be prepared for him to sit down and have the Passover with his disciples and to install the new covenant all leading up to the moment of him hanging on a cross at Calvary to die, to purchase for himself a people, to install a new covenant, a covenant that would be written upon our hearts, a covenant that would be written upon our lives. The first song that we sang today, it said that our name has been carved upon his heart. But not only that, his name has been carved upon our hearts. And that's reason to rejoice. And if you're here this morning, if you would go ahead and stand with me all across this house. The point of the new covenant is this, that sir, ma'am, Jesus loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you so much that in the gospel of John, he said that he goes to prepare a place for you. He's already preparing a place, a spot, a place in heaven for you to spend eternity with him. That is the point of the new covenant. And he's inviting. The scripture would say that he's at the door knocking. But will you answer? Will you answer? The point of the new covenant coming into this world and, and, and being installed was to give us access to the Father. And so Jesus came to open up that door to give you access. And he's here today to give you access. He loves you for you. He loves your heart. He loves you in all of your brokenness and all of your sin. He's not willing that one should perish, that one should turn, that one should walk away. But he wants you to come in today. Now let's take a moment with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I want us to look into our hearts this morning. He's at the door knocking. But are you opening it up to let him in? Are you opening up the door of your life to let him in? All you have to do is receive. We don't have to spend eternity apart from Christ. We don't have to spend eternity without Christ. We open the door. It says that he will come in and dine with us and we with him. He loves you. He's here for you today. If you're in this room and you need to surrender your life to the Lord, maybe you've been like Israel doing it your own way, having a knowledge, having a context of who God is, but there hasn't been heart transformation. He's after your heart today. He's after your life. If that's you this morning and you need to surrender your heart to him, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to slip up your hand this morning. He loves you, sir. He loves you, ma'am. Every person in this room, he loves intimately. And he's longing. Come on, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for purchasing salvation for my life. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, 
first time in a long time, there's a little connection card that's in the pew in front of you. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to grab that out. I want you to fill it out. Put your name on it. Come on. If you just prayed that prayer, take that card out, fill it out, put your name on it, put your information down. This isn't the final step. It's the first step in your journey with Jesus. It's the first step. And it's important those next steps that are to follow. And we want to help you take those next steps. We want to help supplement and help come alongside and help support your spiritual journey and your walk with the Lord. But if you've already prayed that prayer and you've been living with a heart that's changed and transformed, your mission is that of Christ, to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why we say we exist for four reasons, to help people encounter Jesus, to build disciples, to love people, and make a difference. And this week, you gotta live on mission. I want us to take a moment, I wanna open up these altars. If you need special prayer for anything, I wanna invite you to come down to the altars and pray this morning. If you need healing in your life, maybe you've been battling sickness or infirmity, maybe you've been going through a spiritual battle, Maybe some things have just been adding up and you just need prayer in your life. That God would just meet you where you are. These altars are open this morning. If our prayer team, if you would come down to the front, we want to pray for you and believe for God to shift and to move in your life. We'll pray and I'll read the Aaronic blessing in just a moment. But I want to open up the altars this morning. I want to say agree in prayer for God to work and move in every single one of these situations.
Father, we are available for you. God, to be used by you and for you. This week, church, I'm going to read the Aaronic Blessing in just a moment. But as you go, love people. Amen. Work on their hearts. That's what Jesus did. And he saw transformation flow in him and through him. Behavior will follow. God's worried about the heart. And that's where he wants to put his law and his name. It's within the heart. If you would, slip up your hands. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of God. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of God and I will bless them. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that your word is alive, it's active. And Father, I pray that it would just come into our hearts and our lives. It would transform us. God, that we would walk in the power of the new covenant. God, to love people where they are, to seek and to save those who are lost, to love people the way that you have loved people through the covenant of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you.